ignored good advice at some point in our lives? Anyone ever ignored good advice? We've ignored advice from doctors, professional coaches, physical therapists, motivational speakers, nutritionists, preachers, marriage counselors, financial planners, and friends. Sometimes we ignore the advice on purpose. Sometimes it's on accident. Sometimes we just make a choice. Like I had a doctor appointment, and I have a slight bulging disc in my lower back. And the doctor said, do not do anything that if you were on a scale and you caused that, that would cause the number to fluctuate on a scale. And I'm like, and so I try to do CrossFit and play softball. I'm going to try and play softball, basketball, these things. And he said, you know, you really just want to stick to elliptical machines and yoga. <laughs> and I'm sitting in his office like, I already know right now I'm not following this advice. I probably should. But I'm like, I'm not going to do, like, I already know before I left the office, I know I'm not going to do this. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I came home and told my kids that, and my boys started laughing at me, telling me I'm going to do a yoga class. <laughs> I'm like, I, I can't do that just to keep the respect of my boys, I guess. I mean, if you do yoga, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I want to be in Unless there's some competition in yoga, maybe. I don't know. But maybe it could. But. but the list goes on. The embarrassing thing is that in some of these cases where we ignored advice, we actually paid for the advice. Like people will pay for marriage counseling and go, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Like I paid for the doctor to tell me what to do. And I'm like, eh, yeah. We go to financial sessions, like seminars, and they're like, yeah, that was interesting. I'm not going to change anything, but that was interesting. If good information isn't enough to guarantee good decisions, then what do we need? What are we missing? Well, tonight we're going to continue on our series, week four of the principle of the path. We have next week is the last week of this series. But choosing the right information or the right path, it begins with a dreaded Dreaded word that we don't always like to use. It is submission. The problem, it's not information. It's submission. Specifically, submission to the one who knows where the path leads. Wouldn't we want to receive guidance from the one who actually already created the path, who says, I'm the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending. Wouldn't we want to follow the person who says, I, I've actually been to the end of the path. I know where your path leads. I know where you, the path does not lead. And so it's tempting to think that information alone is enough. But generally speaking, information is not our problem. Like I started by saying, we've received information from doctors and professional coaches, physical therapists, motivational speakers, financial planners, marriage counselors, pastors, preachers. But each of their advice required us to do something with the information. If we never did that, then guess what? Our path never changed. We continue on the same path. If we receive information, the information does not change our lives. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, Sunday, I'll get up here and I'll touch on water baptism. I'll ch touch on spirit infilling. And, and someone can say, thank you for that information. But unless the person will come to an altar and say, I want to repent of my sins. I want to have these sins washed away. I want to get into the water and do something with what I just heard. 
Information alone does not change our path. Information is not the problem. Independence is. And that's where that that dreaded word, submission, specifically submission to God and his word. When you and I get ahead of God by thinking we can just do fine without his direction or by solely relying on the conventional wisdom, things don't go well at that point. If there was ever a man who could have, and forgive me because I'm going to talk a little bit about Solomon today and, and on Sunday, but if anybody could say, I don't need... I don't need help. I am I'm wise. It would be King Solomon. The Bible refers to Solomon as the wisest man to ever live. He even wrote three books of the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And those three books are referred to as wisdom literature. Inside those books, Solomon displayed remarkable insight into the realms of mathematics, science, business, marriage, parenting, justice, but This was not the result of being born to smart parents, you see. Solomon's insight was due in part to God's unique intervention in his life. When Solomon assumed the throne in the place of his father David, he was around 20 years old. David, he had been a great warrior, and Solomon was probably not really great at anything as far as we could tell. Uh, So we shouldn't be surprised to discover that he felt just a little bit overwhelmed with, oh, okay, now I'm called to lead a whole nation. You know, I mean, how would you like to be David's son? You know, like everybody, David is just celebrated everywhere. And now you're going to step in and take take the nation from him and lead them to the next level. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, are you a, are you a warrior? No. What do you have going for you? Well, I'm David's son. And so not to mention, he's not only called to take over the nation as king, but he's called to build a temple. Not any temple, but the temple. The first temple. Supposedly the only temple the nation would ever have. And as far as we know, Solomon doesn't know anything about construction. Why God would call leaders... To lead a construction program when you know nothing about construction, sometimes God's just like, I'm going to just show you. God sent Liberty, someone who moved here, with just like a Walmart hammer, and that's it. And here I am learning about construction. We're going to talk more about that construction on Sunday, but as Solomon was setting into his royal role, God communicated to him in a dream. To paraphrase, God basically says, Solomon, because I loved your father, I love you. And because I've made your promise to your father, I'm going to make a promise to you. Ask me anything you want. Just make a request and I'll give it to you. You want long life, you got it. You want money, no problem, power, whatever it is, I'll give it to you. Solomon had a blank check. Could you imagine? I mean, this is amazing. If you were 20 years old, what would you ask for? Solomon asked for wisdom. And that's a bit odd because you would already think you got a little bit of wisdom to ask for wisdom because apparently Solomon was just wise enough to know how wise he wasn't, so he asked for more. First Kings records at First Kings 3, it says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they can't be counted. 
Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours. God was so pleased with Solomon's request. He gave him all the stuff one of us probably would have asked for at 20 and then some. Verse 11, God replied, because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people in justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or will ever have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. Sure enough, Solomon became extraordinarily wealthy and extremely powerful. There was peace along the borders of Israel. Kings and queens from surrounding nations, they would travel great distances to sit at his feet and just listen. In time, Solomon's kingdom was the envy of the ancient world, and many refer to this as the golden age of Israel. And my point is, is if there was ever a person, if there was ever a person who could say, yeah, God, now that I got the wisdom, I need access um, I, I have the information I need, and um, feel free to go and do whatever you need to do with the rest of the world, because I'm good. You here are by dismissed. I'll take it from here. I am the wisest person to ever live. If there's ever a person who could do that, it'd be Solomon. But Solomon was wise enough to know better. He knew wisdom and information alone were not enough. Even though he knew better to trust his own judgment. Later in life, he would offer this advice to anyone who would listen. A very, very famous scripture. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths, the principle of the path, because Solomon understood that we all go down paths. There are paths that we choose and he knows that, like, there's going to be paths, but in your life, you have to learn to trust him, not lean on your understanding, and let him direct your path. Pretty straightforward advice he gives. Don't trust your heart. Trust God with your heart. And the term translated trust carried the idea of lying helplessly face down. Trust in the Lord with all that heart. Lying helplessly face down, vulnerable, dependent. That's what he's trying to paint in this picture in Hebrew. And he says, then notice the contrast. He says, lean not. As in the Hebrew understanding of this is, don't prop up yourself with. You ever see some of that? You know? Lean not. Don't prop yourself up with. The term translated lean literally means to prop something up against something else to be supported by it. God wanted us to trust him and prop ourselves up against him and not our own way of thinking. So when he's, 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 he's painting this picture saying, trust in the Lord, that helplessly face down vulnerability, I need you, Lord, and don't prop yourself up with ways of, 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 of your own thinking and trying to, trying to hold yourself up with your own approach or, or life or way of thinking. 
Solomon was saying that in spite of all you know and in spite of all you've experienced, don't make this mistake of thinking you're old enough, wise enough, smart enough, experienced enough, or careful enough to lean on your own understanding. Choosing the best path begins with submission. When considering our options, the place to begin is, Lord, I'm leaning on you, not my own experience, my insight, my education. When my emotions are in conflict with your law, I'll lean on your law and harness my emotions and my own will. See, that's, that's submission because submission is not submission until you're asked to do something you don't want to do. I mean, like, if God spoke to me, go get a filet mignon, medium rare today at Texas Roadhouse. I'll submit to that. That's not submission. I'll go grab that. That's fine. But submission, submission is when, is when we're asked to do something we don't want to do. And God's word is absolutely going to ask you to do things that are contrary to what your flesh wants. God's word is going to say things that you're like, oh, but I don't want to do that. At this point, the wisest man to ever live has given us two important imperatives. One, trust, and two, lean not. But that's only half the equation. In the second part we read, he gives us a third command and a promise. He says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Notice he does not say, in most of your ways, acknowledge him. Solomon didn't leave wiggle room. He says, in all your ways, meaning in your marriage ways, in your dating ways, in your entertainment ways, in your apparel ways, in your education ways, in your professional ways, your financial ways, your morality ways. He's not just speaking of your Sunday ways. All means all. In every arena of life, we are to acknowledge God. But what does it mean to acknowledge God? The word acknowledge seems to have lost something over the years. You ever listen to a public speaker, a professional athlete, people that win an MVP or an offensive player or defensive player of the year, they get up and they will say, I'd just like to thank my, my mom and my dad. I'd like to acknowledge my coach. I'd like to acknowledge the front office. I'd like to acknowledge, you know, the support staff. I'd like to acknowledge these people. And, you know, it, and when you're watching this speech, we're just, we're just like, unless you're the family member that's looking for the shout out, you're just like, blah, 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 blah. get to the point. You know, people get up and I'd like to thank my fourth grade teacher. And I'd like, yeah, yeah, okay, great, wonderful. Where, where are we going with this? But when Solomon was talking about acknowledging him, he wasn't speaking of a quick, oh, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior. You hear that during interviews a lot. I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior. No. He was saying to acknowledge God means to recognize who he is and respond accordingly. And to properly do that, it requires submission in all of our ways. And if and when we do this, the Bible says he will make our paths straight. He will direct our paths. And what about Solomon? What happened with that guy? Well, in spite of all that great knowledge, unmatched insight and vast wisdom, 
There was a time in Solomon's life when he decided to trust his own understanding. It's just, it's so, it's so ironic. This happens sometimes in humanity too. Somebody does something or partakes in something and the stuff that you used to preach to someone else, you are now doing. Solomon is like, trust the Lord. Don't lean on your understanding. Do this. I'm telling you. And then he starts to trust his own understanding. And he paid dearly for it. In fact, the entire nation paid dearly for it. And I will say this, as is typically the case, his flawed logic had to do with wrong relationships. Relationships are often where people justify themselves in leaving God's principles. It's where we work extra hard to convince ourselves of things. Because there's a deep longing in our soul for that. When God established the nation of Israel, he strictly forbade the men to marry foreign women. That included the king. In fact, the command was especially important for the king. First, as the king goes, so goes the nation. Submission flows from the top down. If I, as a pastor of this church, am not submitted to someone, I don't ever belong getting up here and speaking on submission. Second, kings generally married foreigners as a way of ensuring good relations with nearby and oftentimes hostile neighbors. So if, if you're the king of Israel, you could marry the Egyptian pharaoh's daughter, and that will really kind of solidify a pact with us between our two nations, because now the families are intermingled, intertwined. And that was the way that people would also often do things in the ancient world. But God did not want Israel, Israel's leaders leaning into their neighbors for protection. That would be leaning on their own understanding. He wanted the nation to rely and trust solely on him. Solomon made a choice to lean on his own understanding when it came to foreign women and those relationships. He opted for what society deemed normal at that time. He started marrying foreign women. And politically speaking, it was a very good move. But it was not God's move. It was not God's required path. I wish Solomon would have remembered what he said in Proverbs 14 when he said, there, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. As strategic as it would have been to marry Pharaoh's daughter in 1 Kings 3 and avoid war with Egypt, his strategic decision was in direct conflict with God's commands. Solomon was declaring his dependency on a foreign king rather than on God. He was leaning on his own understanding. In an attempt to ensure peace and avoid bloodshed, Solomon opted for a path that would eventually divide his heart and his loyalties. Ultimately, the decision would divide the entire kingdom of Israel. There would become a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And I will say that that decision to start marrying foreign women is what started the downfall of the nation of Israel. They had made it through a lot of different things. It's not like David never sinned. 
But when Solomon started saying, I'm wise, but you know what? This makes political sense. And God says, no, that's not what I'm asking you to do. But he says, yeah, but it makes sense. He started leaning on his own understanding to the point where he started marrying thousands of women. Eventually, he married women from just about every nation in that region. 1 Kings 11 says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women. And it didn't say a woman. Women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, from the, among the Hittites. He's marrying ladies from all over the place. Could you imagine being a woman in that house? The Lord clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts away to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. How is it possible that God can speak so clearly, but from B.C. A.D. to 2022, men and women are still struggling with the exact same thing? How is that possible? Don't marry them. They're going to turn your hearts away. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. But people today, believers today think they can marry unbelievers and somehow it'll be different. I'm smarter than Solomon. Really, that's quite a feat. That's, that's quite a feat. He was literally the wisest person to ever lived. I mean, I think you're very wise, but I wouldn't put you on that level. Nor am I. Folks, look how far he falls. 1 Kings 11.4 says, In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Molech, you would actually place your children, you would actually burn them as sacrifices to the false god, your own children. How does the wisest man who ever lived, who writes three books of the Bible known as wisdom literature, who talks about not going down the street to the strange woman's house, <clears throat> who says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. Depend on him. Don't prop yourself up with your own way of thinking. Get to the point. Did he, did he just live this so long that he put his guard down? Did he think, did he get to the point where he thought he was invincible? Where he thought that that couldn't touch him anymore? Was it just, oh, no, but I got to have strategic partnership with the foreign nations. What, what happened? Because nobody 
serves God and decides, ah, today I'm going to wake up and burn children to Molech. I would argue that it starts with just trying to justify one of your decisions. Yeah, but this is going to be a good political move. And yeah, I know I've done that once. This one here is going to be another good political move. This one's going to help the nation. It doesn't matter what you try to justify in your brain. When it goes against the word of God, 700 wives and 300 concubines later, all of a sudden, Molech, you're bringing false gods into, not just false gods, but scripture says detestable false gods that now are being sacrificing children to their God. How do you fall that far? It starts by going down a path. It starts by going down a path. It's a pretty far fall. It starts by leaning on your own understanding rather than submitting to God's ways. Solomon's decision to prioritize his relationships with foreign kings over his relationship with God cost him his relationship with God. Not because God pulled away, but because Solomon's heart was pulled away. In his attempt to strengthen Israel's relationship with her neighbors, Solomon actually weakened it. Soon after his death, the nation was divided into two weaker kingdoms, and for generations, these two lesser kingdoms would be plagued by a series of kings who followed Solomon's example of marrying foreign women and adopting their pagan religious practices. Solomon chose a path he sincerely believed would shore up the nation's national security, but the path that he chose undermined the nation's dependence on God and ultimately eroded the nation's moral fabric because his decision was not merely a decision it was a path and that's what I'm trying to say is that the things the path that we go down the places that we put ourselves in that we say oh I'm strong enough to, to, to go there without I'm strong enough to drink a little alcohol without being an alcoholic I'm strong enough to start texting this person that doesn't serve God but not really go down that road. I'm strong enough that I could do these things. I'm strong enough to, to, to skip church multiple times, and I'm just, I'll jump back when I'm feeling up to it again. Like, there's things that happen in our lives that it sets us down a path. It's not just like a, an isolated decision. Everything that we do, it, 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 it puts us on a path. that is leading somewhere. This was a path for him, for his children, his grandchildren, the whole nation. Solomon's story should give each of us a reason for concern because deep in our hearts, hear me, we all believe that we're too smart to make decisions like this. I mean, look me in the eye right now. If, 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 if this is us, we feel like we are too smart to make decisions like this. No matter what, 
No matter what is tempting you, you're messing with, no matter what, we feel like, no, that will never be me. But the things that we do, every decision we make, we start down a path. Nobody, no one wakes up and says, I'm just going to destroy my marriage. You know what? Today's the day I'm going to get hooked on porn. You know what? I'm, I, I, today's, I'm telling you, today's the day I'm just going to become a drug addict. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm starting today. No, no, no. There's, there's a decision that we say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm I'm to step into this. I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here. I'm gonna, we start down a path. A path that when someone says, oh, hey, that's, that's dangerous. I think about it often like thin ice. Sometimes, I'm telling you, pastoring has got to be one of the greatest things in the world. Sometimes it's one of the hardest things, too. Because sometimes you'll watch people walk out on the thin ice. You're like, whoa, 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 hey, there's a sign here. No, you're not careful. No, you're on thin ice. Oh, no, I grew up around ice. <laughs> no, but, but you're on, no, come on. I know I'm going to head back. I'm going to head back in a few minutes. I'm just checking it out out here. What are you doing? Oh, I know the lake. I've been out here before. And you're sitting here waving at the shore. It's dangerous. I can handle it. If it cracks, I'll just go through it. I'll get right back up and crawl over. I, I, I'll, I'll, I know how to do it. I literally watched a, a video of this guy who was training for the Olympics. And they cut open a hole in the ice because he was trying to train his lungs. And so he was going to swim under the ice to the edge all the way back to the hole. <laughs> Boy, sounds smart, huh? It's amazing how stupid things are so clearly stupid to us. But then, like, when we do stupid things, I like, oh, wasn't that stupid. <laughs> Thank God he actually had people there. So I watched him swim. This is recorded. He gets to the end. And when he takes his turn, he takes a little too wide. And the people up top are freaking. They're, they're, they're jumping up and down, and they're trying to direct him. And all of a sudden, you see him kind of stop. I can't imagine the terror. When he realizes I lost my spot. And he's under the ice. And the people are, are like trying to, trying to hit the thing, trying to get him to go. Well, thank God they had put a rope under there and he saw the rope. And so he, ran, he swam to the rope and grabbed it and they pulled him back through the hole. He was just going to test his lungs for the, the Olympics and swimming and stuff like that. I say that to say that sometimes we think, I know where I am. I'll just go right there and I'll come back. I'm not going to lose my way. Until we lose our way. 
And it's because somewhere we just thought we were invincible. I've always said this, sometimes our greatest strength is knowing what our weakness is. Solomon, what happened? Decisions that will adversely affect our lives, sometimes we're just we're convinced we're too careful, we're too shrewd, too experienced, too smart, too godly. But that's because our propensity is to lean on our own understanding and our own judgment. We all, we all have a choice to make. And it's not like one choice. Like some of you like, I made the choice, I got baptized. I made the choice, I got the Holy Ghost. But do you know, you have, you have a choice every day. I mean, I'm not scared about losing salvation or something, but I understand that I could wake up tomorrow and say, I'm done with this. People don't do that, though. Not typically. Even, on the, even from the outside, when it looks like somebody just left out of the, wow, well, they just left out of the clear blue, just woke up one day. No, they did not. There's been things happening behind the scenes. I will say that Whenever, whenever you, me, or anybody is struggling, the fruit of that struggle makes its way to the surface, and that's when it's visible to me, to you, to someone else. But it always begins when our personal spiritual disciplines get off, wet, off track. When people are like, yeah, I made this choice. I went down this path. Are you still praying the same way you've always prayed? Are you still reading the word? Are you still fasting like you've always fasted? Are you, you will find. Right now, you ask yourself, if I'm struggling, if I'm, am I, do I still have the spiritual disciplines in place that I've always had? No, you don't. Because to go down that path, we have to, there's certain paths that we go down that we have to just directly ignore the principles of God. Every week, I feel kind of bad because this is a very heavy series. But it's, but it's a series that this is so real. It's so heavy because it's so real. Because every day we go down paths. It might be education, health, exercise, eating, whatever it is. Serving, ministry, giving, relationships, whatever it is. We, we, we choose paths every day. And those paths dictate who we are. And so we have a choice. Will we surrender to God or will we lean on our own wisdom and understanding? Every path has a destination because remember, direction, not, a, not intention, determines destination. In divine direction, the kind where God truly leads our path, it begins with submission. Submission, like a lot of times people think submission, like, oh, well, the pastor's preaching submission to himself. No, submission begins with God. And so ultimately, we say, God, I submit to your will, or God, I submit to part of your will. He says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. But oftentimes in our world, we see that people say, I'll acknowledge you in this, that, that, that. That's probably it. 
but I want to acknowledge his ways in every part of my life. And so as we close today, we must end by asking ourselves, how do we make sure we're on the right path? Because I know like this, we could say, yeah, be on the right path, follow God's ways, amen, altars are open. But no, how do we make sure we're on the right path? I know I said to trust God. You need to trust God. Trust God, don't lean on your own understanding. You're dismissed. What does that mean? What does it look like? You see, every big decision has an emotional component to it. Purchasing a home, choosing an academic major, deciding who to date and marry, when to start a family. These are things that they can be like agonizing, going back and forth and like, ah. So I, I, I remember when I was asking Jackie to marry me, and I love her, and I knew I wanted to marry her, but that still, there was like this nervous, like, I'm going to put this ring on her finger, and this is going to be my wife for the rest of my life. God, I feel good, but are you sure of this? I mean, who? You know, like, because to me, it's like a, this is a commitment. Every big decision takes us down a path. It impacts our future in some way. So how do I make sure I'm trusting God? Well, if I could give you three questions to every option that comes your way. You can type these on your phone. Anytime I see anybody on their phone, I just tell myself, you're so lost in my message, you're taking notes. I'm not naive, I just talk to myself and make myself feel good. Three questions, every option that comes your way. Number one, does this option violate God's law? Does this option violate God's law? Number two, does this option violate a principle? Does this option violate a principle? And number three, in light of how I want my story to look, is this the wisest thing to do? In light of how I want my story to look, is this the wisest thing to do? I'm having a lot of talks with my daughter, and she's a great young lady. But talking to her about the power of reputation. Because sometimes in humanity, but even in that age group, that you think, like, this is just a decision. Do I want to do this or not? But I was explaining to her that at her age, and if she feels a call to ministry like she does, that every decision puts another brick on her reputation. And you're writing a story that other people are reading. And now I get it, like, don't let everybody else determine. Yeah, but if you're going to try to influence people, you have to understand there's a power in reputation. And reputation takes years to build and seconds to lose. And so our decisions are, okay, what do I want my story to look like? And in light of that, is this the wisest thing to do? 
If while in the throes of your decision making, you pause and temporarily detach yourself from the emotion and the urgency of the moment. Because when we get in the moment, let's be honest, decisions come our way and there's usually something your flesh really wants. And it's funny because we pull God into a lot of things. I sometimes wonder if God's like, whoa, don't pull. I didn't know. Hang on a second. Because sometimes we're like, yes, Lord. Oh, Jesus. And we already made up our mind about what Jesus is saying because we want it so bad to be a certain way. But if you detach yourself just temporarily from the emotion, the urgency of the moment, and say, all right, does this option violate God's law? Does it violate a principle? And in light of how I want my story to look, is this the wisest thing to do? Man, you're going to have such unbelievable clarity. Another way of asking this is, has God already spoken on this matter? If God has already spoken on a matter in his word, can I tell you something? You literally don't have to pray about it. I've taught Bible studies where somebody says, I'm really praying about being baptized. And, I, and if I know him well enough, I'll say, you don't have to. Well, why? Because God already very clearly said, this is my will and here's the way to do it. So if he said that, I, I literally, I don't have, he's not going to change his mind. So there's not going to be a time where I'm like, I'm praying about giving tithes. It's, it's, it, there's nothing to pray about. I'm praying about whether to pray or not. Why? When there is clarity in the word, you literally don't have to pray about that particular thing. God will never contradict the principles of his word. Never. Not one time. So the key is for us to stop listening to our flesh and trying to justify why our situation is different because God would be cool with it. Now, that's how the wisest man that writes three wisdom literature books ends up welcoming Molech into the nation and sacrificing children. How in the world did we make that jump? We made the jump because he started down a path. It's different for everybody. But if you continue on the path you're on right now, where does it take you? What does the final, the end of that story, what does that look like? That's what we need to consider. God's will for your life will always line up with his law, his principles, his wisdom. You will never accomplish the will of God by breaking the law of God. And you will never live a blessed life by ignoring his principles. I invite you to stand your feet and to just find a place to pray tonight. Again, I know this is just a heavy series, but it's one where it's constantly a challenge of us to not just aimlessly make decisions 
but to think about this is not just a decision. There's a path that I'm going down. Where does this path take me? And so I invite you right now to just find a place and to pray about your path because your path is different than everybody else. Everybody's got their own path and their own things that they struggle with, rejoice in. There's weaknesses and strengths in each of us, things that might try to trip us up. Doesn't, don't trip up the neighbor next to us. But Jesus, I pray right now, God, that as the men and women in this place are watching online begin to close this service out in prayer, God, help us. Father, help every one of us, Jesus, to realize the power of decisions and the way it influences the path that we're on. God, we want to be wise, godly, sanctified, set apart, holy unto you. Jesus, help us tonight. Help us tonight to think about these things and to consider our own situations and the path that we're on.